So this is the harbour, and I think we start down there. Okay. Let's go down this way. Stop six, Cromarty, the harbour and the factory. We'll now take you on a walk round Cromarty. This is one of our favourite small towns in the Highlands, and in many ways you can tell much about the history of Scotland from a stroll through its streets. If you face the town with your back to the sea, you should see the Royal Hotel. Now, it's neither black nor an island, but for this episode of the North Coast 500 podcast, we are on the Black Isle, just north of Inverness. More specifically, we're taking an audio tour of the beautiful historic town of Cromarty. I'm Penny Stewart. And I'm Dan Holland. Apparently, the Black Isle is black because it used to be covered with dense forest. And the Isle bit is because it's a sort of a, a fat finger of land, a peninsula which pokes out between the Cromarty, Bewley and the Murray Firths. Cromarty is right at the very tip of that peninsula at the end of the Black Isle and it's where the Cromarty and the Murray Firths meet. And for a small place there is a lot going on. So coming up on this episode of the North Coast 500 podcast I'll be heading off in search of dolphins. So they do come a little bit closer you'll start to see that each of the dorsal fins is very slightly different and that's how they're identified and counted. They're not tagged at all. I'm also hitting the water in search of a bit of history by kayak. No, so these are the South Suta sea stacks. And these First World War emplacements you can see here, they were where the searchlights were. And we've got a food and storytelling evening with a bit of a difference. If you go to any country in the world, you really want to meet people and hear about their stories. Um, Scotland's got some brilliant storytellers, you know, from Sir Walter Scott all the way up to people like Nan Shepherd. They're just absolutely stunning uh, and we should celebrate them all. All that to look forward to. Now, we're taking a self-guided audio tour of Cromarty. It's been put together by the downright gabbler in Bewley, which we'll hear more about just shortly. But basically, once you've paid a small fee, £10 per car, you simply download your tour. It comes in handy bite-sized segments and takes you on a circular route from Bewley, round the Black Isle here to Cromarty and back again. We've decided to do just the Cromarty part of the tour. Turn now and walk towards the harbour. We're going to continue our audio tour while you can hear how Penny got on when she joined Chris Wilson from Liquid Footprints for a trip by sea kayak along the Cromarty shoreline. Today, it's a pretty good day here in Cromarty. It's not much wind, there's a bit of cloud, but Penn lucked out when she went out for her paddle and had an absolute bluebird of a day. So what we're going to do, we're going to get you guys into your boats now. I'm going to help you on with your spray decks, talk you through them, and then we're going to slide you onto the water majestically. Okay? So, we're going to start here in Cromarty Bay. Um, we're going to get used to the boats here, and then we're going to peel round onto the south side, which is where the village of Cromarty is. Yeah. We're going to cruise our way past there, which will be gorgeous. You'll see the village and all that sort of really nice stuff. And then we're going to follow the shoreline out, and we're going to head over to the South Suitors, which are these lovely sea stacks, and they've got old First World War... Um, uh, battlement searchlight towers still built into them and stuff like that. All right, how does that sound to you guys? Does that sound good? Fantastic. Yeah, happy with that? All right, cool. Right, into your boats then. So, the trick with the spray deck is to put it on at the back first and then peel it round to the front, okay? But if anyone's needing a hand, please let me know because they are a little bit tricky. All right, all right, here we go. Woo! <laughs> 
Thank you. All right. We have got the most flat calm day. I can't remember the last time I saw the Cromarty first so flat. Extraordinary. And warm too. There's a real, real warmth in the sun which is just burning off the clouds. You know, it's one of those kind of milky light spring days. day like this there is no way I would rather be right at this precise moment than playing in a kayak in the north of Scotland okay my friends what we're gonna do we're gonna head over to the harbour and we're just gonna go to the left hand side of it as we go past it and we're gonna start heading out if everyone's happy all right cool a good um, good friend of mine he likes to paddle he says that when he gets in a boat and he starts paddling, it feels like all his stresses and worries just sort of dissolve into the water, that everything just yeah, seeps away. And on a day like today, when it is so calm, oh, there's two swans just going past. Beautiful. I just totally get that. I don't know, I don't know what the magic is. But there is something about just sitting in a kayak paddling on a beautiful day that just makes everything feel better. <laughs> I love it. So guys, what we're going to do, we're going to follow the village along. So we're just going to hug this shoreline as we move along. We are currently in the Cromarty Firth at the moment. And at the end of the Cromarty Firth, we go into the Moray Firth. Now, the Moray Firth has the largest residential pod of dolphins in the world. So we quite often see dolphins here. This is probably what's really cool about this area because I can't think, and I've been fortunate, fortunate to paddle a lot of places around the world but I can't think of anywhere where so much wildlife and so much industrialization sit like literally hand in hand it's a really really rare situation in a way it's cool so it shows what we can achieve if we just do it right you know we can have this and we can have all of that we just need to do it in the right way and Chris today is is I mean, it almost couldn't be calmer. There's there's hardly a breath of wind, and and the the, the water's just glassy. So it's it's wonderful for sea kayaking. But in general, how accessible is it as an activity for someone who hasn't done it before? Most of the groups I take out are all beginners who have never done it before. So I use this location a lot, as it is so sheltered. Because we only work with individual bespoke groups, all our trips are tailor made. So some people I get, they turn up, they paddle before and they're looking for some epic trip and you go, all right, then, fair enough. Whereas others turn up and they're literally looking to just dabble around, maybe go up the shoreline and then spend two hours having lunch, enjoying the sun. And you go, you know what, if that's your sea kayaking trip, then that's absolutely fine because everyone is, you know, it's their own adventure. 
It's incredibly relaxing, isn't it? It's insane. Like, your head drifts away. Once you get this rhythm, uh, the boat will actually carry itself. So you, all you're doing after a while is actually just, with your paddle, is actually just nudging the boat along. I find myself getting hypnotic, like hypnotised by the ripples going past the boat that as your boat carves through and listening to the sound of your blades and the drips coming off them as you bring the blades back round to go in. And you get these little whirlpools forming off the back of your blades as you pull through the water. And I've, I've been paddling, what, 20 years now? And I still spend hours staring at them. They're no different to 20 years ago. But yeah, you just find your head going into this, into a good place. It's a place where it doesn't have phones and social media and work. It's a place where it just finds a little bit of peace and it's like your brain's put its feet up. <laughs> and you're kind of sitting next to it going, you've earned it. Would you like a cup of tea? Oh, that'd be lovely. No, so these are the South Suta sea stacks. And these First World War emplacements you can see here, they were where the searchlights were for their naval protection batteries. And then the guns themselves were placed up on the hills. For the suitors, the story goes, is they were, there were two shoemakers, giant shoemakers that lived either side. And they'd throw tools to each other. And that's kind of the story behind it. Which I love the imagination you get from folklore. It's like, I know, what are they going to be, warriors? No, kings? No, shoemakers. Yes, shoemakers, that's what we need in the local area. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful. But all the birds are starting to come back and starting to sort of roost on the cliffs and stuff, which is really cool. So it's, everything's coming back alive again. So it's lovely. Yeah, so those are all cormorants up there with their little tufts on the top and they're kind of that green colour. So apart from kayaking, what else does Liquid Footprints do? So we do canoeing trips as well. We do gorge scrambling, mountain guiding. We do adventure holidays as well. We do the Great Glen. We also do Sullivan over three days. We do what's called a wee-arty adventure as well, where they go out in canoes and collect stuff off the ground. Then we provide PVA glue and paint and canvases. We also work with a storehouse as well. And they provide us with luxury picnics and luxury barbecues. So we do sea kayak snorkel trips. So yeah, so a lot of it we try to sort of have it as an experience, you know, as opposed to just a journey. So, you know, like our luxury picnics are really popular on the canoe trips, you know, people do a canoe trip and then they stop and then we bring out and all the produce is local, you know, we got like cromity cheese and bread and salmon from up the way and local Bewley farms and stuff like that, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's that kind of in whole, what's the word I'm looking for, engrossed, you know, you're engrossed in the highlands as opposed to just sat in a canoe or a kayak, so. That's what we try to do. Brilliant. Well done you, we're gonna go underneath the bridge 
and then follow it round and you'll see where we launch from this morning or the area. So as we come in guys, just remember if you can lift those little fins up at the back of your boat. <laughs> well done guys, woo! Penrose Kayaking with Chris Wilson from Liquid Footprints. If you want to find out more about the trips they do, just head for liquidfootprints.com. You're listening to the North Coast 500 podcast. This episode, we're on the Black Isle, north of Inverness, and there's loads to do around here. So just check out northcoast500.com for more info. Right, let's carry on with the tour. Where are we going? I think we're heading down this way uh, in search of Cromarty House. Take the road to the right called Causeway and go up a steep but short hill past the Bowling Green. You'll catch glimpses of Cromarty House as you go. That's an intriguing tunnel, isn't it? At one point, you'll see the entrance to a tunnel which leads from the wall into the house itself. This was the servant's entrance and used to ensure the owners of the house were not disturbed by the comings and goings of their workers. On your left, you'll see a graveyard through a small gate. Take your time to look around. It's one of the most atmospheric cemeteries I've ever visited. We sort of nestled on top of a, a hill just above the village and behind, between the Cromarty and the, and the South Suta. Quite a lot of the gravestones that we're passing, they're, they're covered in, in, in lichen and moss, but they've got a skull and crossbones on them. Do you know what that means? I've no idea. I don't either. Look out in particular for gravestones with a distinctive scalloped edge. This was a trademark of Hugh Miller when he was working as a stonemason. In the centre of the graveyard, you'll see a modest gravestone with that design, which was the memorial Miller carved for his own daughter, who died as a child. It's reputed to be the last gravestone he ever carved. Covered in lichen and old. In memory of... Is that Elizabeth? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Logan. Logan. Infant daughter of Hugh and Lydia Miller, born. It's like 1887, is it? Yeah. I mean, Hugh Miller, who we heard about just there, is Cromarty's most famous son. Fossil hunter, folklorist, man of faith, stonemason, geologist, editor, writer, and social justice campaigner. He was one of the great Scots of the 19th century but he came from very ordinary beginnings. The Thatch Cottage, where Hugh Miller was born in 1802, was built by his great-grandfather, who was apparently a pirate. And we're going to go in search of that cottage just now, which I think is back down this way, is it? Turn right into Church Street. Pause to take in the very different look and feel to the place compared to the old fishing town. You can see more prosperous looking buildings laid out in a much more planned manner than we saw in the more haphazard medieval part of the town. Look how grand that is. Yeah. It's, it's like, that could almost be a kind of French, what they call them, maison bourgeoise, where they get these two kind of, it's got this grand entrance going up. It's absolutely huge. This is the part of Cromarty most associated with its prime years during the Georgian period. I mean, you get a total sense of how how impressive Cromarty must have been. It must have been a very wealthy place as well, I think. Oh, serious money. Serious money. 
Well, as Chris mentioned on our kayaking trip, the Murray Firth is a brilliant place for wildlife. So earlier today, Dan jumped on a dolphin and wildlife spotting trip with Sarah Pern from local company EcoVentures. Port Radio, Sursa. Radio. Good morning, man. Uh, good morning. That's us just departing Cromarty. 1-3 POB. Return time 1200. Over. That's all covered. Okay. All right back there. It's a bit better today than I thought it might be. It's uh, giving gusting up to 27 this afternoon. Was it? That's always the exciting bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you have on board. <laughs> Porpoise, folks. Actually, just on our left there, quite close to the boat. Just keep looking. There you go. So this is a little harbour porpoise. So porpoise a lot harder to spot than dolphins. So you can imagine if there's any wind or, or waves, just really, really difficult to pick them up. So they're just over a metre long, rounded snout, and you'll see uh, the very small triangular dorsal fin. And whereas dolphins will often approach the boat and breach, a little bit more interactive, porpoise generally keep themselves to themselves. They're beautiful wee animals. So folks, I'll just give it a few more minutes. Much, much harder to individually identify porpoise. With dolphins, they've each got unique dorsal fins with little nicks and scratches and markings. To some extent, you can do that with porpoise, but it's, it's much, much harder. We'll just spend a few more minutes, we'll see if it'll reappear. See, they do tend to be quite shy. But we'll make our way now out towards the entrance to the Firth, the deepest point just out in the middle here. Drops down to about 55 metres, quite a good area for dolphins. So we'll just take our time as we head out. Everyone doing okay up front? Warm enough, yeah. How are you guys doing? Okay. Oh, dolphins! Just on our right, single adult dolphin. So it was travelling towards the back of us. Keep an eye open all around, they're usually in groups. Just as someone spotted dolphins there, the boat stopped. Everybody is looking over the right-hand side of the boat. We've got the cliff behind us. So again, dolphins can hold their breath for quite a while if they choose to, so seven or eight minutes if they really want to, but normally they'll surface quite regularly. Just keep looking towards that steam in the distance. There we are. See the tail? <laughs> Two tail fins just rose so slowly and gracefully out of the water. So folks, we'll just approach very slowly. We've got a few little rules about how we approach them so we minimise any disturbance. So it's always better just to spend a few minutes, see what they're doing, whether they're feeding or travelling, and then we can work out how best to approach. It's like at least a couple to our front left. These are bottlenose dolphins. Do they feed at certain states of the tide, Sarah, or is there a good time in sort of the tide cycle to see the dolphins? Um, there's certain areas there's an element of tidal influence, but not so much out here. Right. They'd be more sort of opportunistic. Um, definitely certain areas they would feed in more often, but not really at set times. 
So they do come a little bit closer, you'll start to see that each of the dorsal fins is very slightly different, and that's how they're identified and counted. They're not tagged at all, they're just photographed, and most of that work is done by a team from Aberdeen Uni who are based in Cromarty. They've studied the dolphins here for the last 30 years. And I've heard it said when you, when you do identify them, because this pod is so well studied, some people get to know their character and yeah, they, these yeah. individuals have a personality. Yeah. Have you seen that when you've been out in the water with them? Definitely. There's certain individuals that you, you do get to know more often, certain ones that look more inquisitive. Absolutely. Yeah. There's quite a famous, uh, well she's become quite famous, a wee dolphin called Spurtle. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of her. She was stranded on the beach a number of years ago and got badly sunburned before being refloated. And it took her quite a long time to heal and initially she was very sort of she was always in the outskirts of the group. She just, you know, you just felt really sorry for her. But then that has healed. She's now got a big white scar down one side, and she's one of the most playful. You know, she'll come and interact with the boat. She actually had her first calf last year, which was, was lovely to see. So that's actually a mum and calf that's just crossing our bow there. Looks like one of last year's little ones. So most of the calves born during the summer months, June through to September. So that little one will stay with its mum for a number of years. They're so graceful. You just saw it rise up out of the water, heard the wee from its blowhole as it took a breath. We're just slowly cruising along below the cliffs back in towards Cromarty and the dolphins are between us and the cliff. And they're what, five, six metres off the side of the boat. Sneaked up behind you. Right now behind us too. <laughs> oh, now that's one, just the one closest to the boat there, that's one called Kenobi. These ones are a lot darker. I think so it's just, the, yeah, the way the, the light ones we is. Saw earlier on. Yeah. Um, the younger ones tend to be a wee bit paler in colour. That's nice, that's the first time we've seen Kenobi this year. It's nice. And is that all when you, when you do recognise them? I can see the smile on your yeah. face when you see Kenobi. Is that always a good sign to see them coming back? And do you yeah, record you know, these? You know, if you've not been out all winter and yeah, see them the first time of the season, it's, you know they've made it through. And How did you tell it was Kenobi? What is Kenobi's? She's got a wee, quite a distinctive nick just at the top of the right. fin. That's a sort of circular nick out the top. And are, are bottlenose dolphins the only cetacean and wildlife species you see out here, Sarah? Or because I've heard stories of minke whales in the Firth here, yep. occasional humpbacks as well. What else do you see? Yeah, so minkies would be the most common whale species um, that we'd see. Um, that usually sort of midsummer again, sightings would peak for them. But I've seen over the years, we've seen humpback, um, pilot whales, fin whale. Um, so yeah, you get occasional surprise visits. Orca once I've seen. Oh, we sometimes get basking shark. Um, later on in the year as mm -hmm. well. This dolphin just came under the boat and then surfaced just as they came out the other side. I could sit and watch this for hours. I can see why you want to be out here every day. I think too, you're, you're getting to share it with people that have never, never experienced it before as well. You see it through their eyes as well. Yeah. And there are some young children on board with you today. Yeah. And their faces are just beaming. <laughs> They were a bit quieter when we were talking about sunken warships, but now we're seeing dolphins. They're just beaming. 
it's the young one again. I really hope the microphone can pick that up to hear that of them surfacing because they're they really are beautiful and they're so close to us on the boat. And the sun's come out and the sea's gone calm as we've come between the narrows. Folks, we'll just spend a few more minutes. We don't want to outstay our welcome, and then we'll let them carry on. That's a really interesting way of putting it. You don't want to outstay our welcome. Is that how you see your relationship with the dolphins in the wildlife here? Um, yeah, I think we're a guest in their environment, really. And we'd always want to do our utmost to minimise any impacts that, that we're having on them. Hopefully they're around to be enjoyed by many more for many years to come. I think for me, when you see wildlife like this, in its own its environment, yeah. it also triggers in me kind of our responsibility to look after the sea. Yes. To look after the environment more, to, to respect their environment. Yeah. Because they have no control over yeah. the damage we do. Yeah. So the onus is on us. Folks, I think that is actually the same, same little group that we saw earlier on, so we won't re-encounter them. But I'll stop off for a few minutes with a little cup of hot chocolate just to warm you up a little bit before we start to make our way in the way. Folks, help yourselves. If anyone would like a biscuit up there, just pass them along. Help yourselves. Just while everyone's warming themselves up on hot chocolate and having a biscuit, Sarah, <laughs> at what age can families start coming on board trips with you at Eco Ventures? So we normally say about five years, five and above. Um, and should people be thinking about booking in advance? Do you get busy? Or, and if so, where should they go for that? So, yeah, we, we would generally recommend to, to get in touch with us beforehand. We only take 12 at a time, so it's, it's quite a small number. Um, best place is you can just book online um, through our website um, or you can give us a ring. Either way. We're just coming back into Cromarty Harbour and Sarah, before you go diving for ropes, thank you for a wonderful morning. Oh, you're very what welcome. A, what a day to be out on the water to see dolphins, harbour porpoises, guillemots, shags. It's been magical to be out here on the water today. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it too. Dan was on a dolphin and wildlife spotting tour with Eco Ventures. If you want to find out more, just head for ecoventures.co.uk. Fun? Oh, brilliant. You know, there is something so special. I love just being out on the water. Yeah. Never mind being out on the boat and seeing harbour porpoise and guillemots and uh, all the bird life we saw but to see bottlenose dolphins which are massive like they are big big animals just coming up beside the boat and hearing them go <laughs> and glide and they make it look so easy you know I know you like open water swimming pen but when you get in the water and you're trying to swim and the, these dolphins just make movement look so graceful yeah, yeah, and yeah. easy. And, and it, it is one of those things that I don't think however many times you see dolphins around here, it's special. 
Oh, it, it's always totally. a kind of totally. Oh, there's a dolphin. <laughs> I think it it puts you right back into going. You know what? We're really insignificant on this planet. They are just incredible, absolutely incredible. This is the North Coast 500 podcast. For more info about the North Coast 500 route and all the great things you can do here, just head for northcoast500.com. Well, our tour has brought us to Cromarty's East Church. And we're going to go and see if it's open because it is an astonishing piece of Scottish history. The East Church is a fascinating place to visit, so let's take a quick walk round its graveyard. If the building is open, pop inside, and if it's not, then take a peek through one of the windows at the rear. Have you been here before? I haven't, no. There's a big draft of cool air. Came through the door as we walked in. There might be little churches you feel you need to whisper. Yeah. Do you want to come and look at it from up above? It's got a really low ceiling when you walk in. It was a church long before the Reformation, and typical of churches at that time, it was brightly painted. That style, however, did not suit the new Protestant tradition, and the paintings and murals on the walls, ceiling, and even the pews were covered up. In the East Church, however, many were simply covered over with hemp or other material, and remained hidden from view for hundreds of years. Recently, these have been exposed, and you can get a rare glimpse of what a small parish church may have looked like in the 1500s. I was going to say, what I find really interesting is the pews have all got little gates at the edge of them. You know, when you would come in off the aisle, they've all got little gates. And they're tiered. It's very much like the, the upper circle or... It's, it's, it's really it. theatrical. And if you stand, if we go right up to the top one, and I climb in here, you can see the pulpit. You'll still have... No bother. ...eye contact, won't you? Yeah, yeah. The audio tour we're doing in this episode has been put together by the Downright Gabbler, which is based at an old coaching inn at the other end of the Black Isle in Bewley. You can stay at their Downright Gabbler's lovely self-catering apartments, but they also run food and storytelling events. Penn joined husband and wife partnership Jane Cumming and Gary Coots for an evening of food and Scottish history. Uh, look, welcome to the Downright Gabbler. Thank you so much for coming along tonight. Uh, we're doing a, an event that's a wee bit different from what we would normally do. Uh, we run a lunchtime event which we call Super Scott, spelled S-O-U-P-E-R. Uh, because folk come in just for a, a, an hour or so where they get a, a soup, crusty bread and scone and jam. Um, but we do it with a wee bit of a difference. That on everybody's table we will leave them a pack of playing cards. And in the pack of playing cards, as well as being playing cards, so if I get really boring you can just play cards. Um, but there is the name on each card of somebody that we think deserves the accolade of being a super Scot. You get to flick through the cards, is there a name you recognise, you want to know a bit more about? Is there somebody you've never heard of? Uh, then you can try and see whether I've done my homework and ask me what on earth it was that they did to make them a super Scot. But today we're going to do it slightly differently in that I'm just picking out our women. Because today is International Women's Day and we want to celebrate Scottish women. So I'm going to give you the packs of cards that have got the women in them and you can just flick through them 
and then we will just ask you to randomly pick somebody and I'll try and remember who on earth they are and what they're famous for. How did this whole idea come about, Jane? Gary, my husband and I, have spent a lot of time travelling and one of the things we particularly enjoyed was going on food tours. And we had a look at how you could possibly do a food tour in this part of the world. Thought it would be a really interesting thing to do. But the problem that you have is the weather's not really very suited to it. You know, people don't actually want to go trudging around in the pouring rain most of the time. And also lots of the places would be quite far apart. And so we came up with the idea of trying to do essentially a, a food tour but while you're still sitting in one place. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things um, we loved about food tours, one of the very first we went on was actually in Lisbon, I remember, and the woman who had given up her job as a marketing director in a very um, large company to run this said, you don't actually understand a country and its, and its culture until you understand its food and drink mm. and how people get together to eat and drink. And um, that's always stuck with us. And we thought, this is actually a way of doing that, where we combine our kind of love of history and storytelling. I mean, we're not historians, you know, we're not, I mean, we wouldn't claim to be, but we are yeah. kind of storytellers in a way, that's our background. Um, but we also, our daughter, our youngest daughter is a chef. And uh, so it was a way of kind of everybody in the family kind of having a business together. So, who wants to go first? Janet Horn. You both had Janet Horns, gosh. One more Janet Horn, and that's a prile. A prile, or we could say in Janet Horn's case, it would be a coven. Poor Janet. So Janet Horn, she was actually a really unfortunate person. We don't know an awful lot about her. And in terms of the, the food, um, mm -hmm. we're tucking here into yeah. some lovely soup. Yeah. How much is uh, the kind of that business of getting ingredients from the local area, of telling the story of, of where you are through the food, an important part of what you're doing. It's really, really important to us. I mean, we actually have a, a gold award for green from Green Tourism, which we're really proud of. Um, and it's it's about, for us, you know, getting people to understand the sort of food that people would eat in Scotland, but actually making it a little more modern. But for example, tonight we're having, um, we're having scotch, um, a sort of scotch brush, it's actually a, a lentil and ham whole broth. Um, very traditional food. The stovies, very traditional, but taken to a new level. Um, so we don't just have the stovies, um, but we have pickled beetroot with it. We have a fillet of lamb. So it's just taking it up to a kind of fine dining level, um, but very much based on traditional food. And what would be the point of that without using the absolutely wonderful local produce that we have round about? Do you find that the, the people who are coming and um, enjoying these events, enjoying these um, stationary food tours, if you like. I mean, for them, is that business of provenance of, of very few miles from from nature to plate? Is that an important part of why they come? Do you think? I think. I think that there's different reasons why different people come. I mean, I think. Most of all, I think people are looking for authenticity. They're looking for something that is authentic to the area. And that means getting produce that's local or that it's, it's you know... I mean, most people have never heard of stovies that, that we get in. I mean, even actually a lot of Scottish people, surprisingly, really? um, have never heard of stovies. So it's all a bit of a surprise to them. And they are absolutely delicious. I mean, they are fantastic. They looked... It's, it's been quite a challenge to make stovies look good. But I think, <laughs> I I think Kirsty has managed to pull it off. But um, 
but you know it's just trying to do things um, and make make people appreciate what we have in this part of the world and what people would have been doing so it's about I think it's as much about authenticity as it is about anything else and that's generally what people are looking for and in some cases that might be that they want to get a his, a, an authentic view of of um, history and, and culture and how we live so it, but it's, it all runs through it's about things ringing true Uh, so we know that over a couple of hundred years there was several thousand people that were executed as witches um, and about 10% of them were men, the rest were all women. So it's not the best pick that you could have given me to start International Women's Day, but it's important that we remember it and poor Janet, uh, we should remember her, an absolutely horrific uh, life that she had. There we go. You've got another one, do you? Hope it's got a more cheery ending to it. Anne McIntosh. Yeah, Colonel Anne. Or that damned rebel bitch, as she was known by the Duke of Cumberland. We're trying to develop a wide range of, of themes. So we've got one which looks at the history of whiskey from the earliest days of distillation right up to the modern day where whiskey nowadays. You know, a single bottle attracted over a million pounds price. Staggering. Uh, then we've got one where we're looking at great Scottish storytellers and writers. Um, I'm a firm believer that storytelling is what makes the world go around. It's uh, the way we get to know people. And if you come to, if you go to any country in the world, you really want to meet people and hear about their stories. Um, Scotland's got some brilliant storytellers, you know, from Sir Walter Scott all the way up to people like Nan Shepherd. You know, just absolutely stunning, uh, and we should celebrate them all. Um, and then we've got others that look at the, the history of beer and how important that was for a, a nation that was developing. Uh, you know, it's not that long ago since we were giving beer to our, our children because it was a safe drink for them. Uh, because you know, water was dangerous. Um, don't know what's grown in water, but beer, that was good for you. Um, so how, what was the role that beer played in the development of the country? Over the next months we'll develop more and more different angles to tell people the story of Scotland, particularly the Highlands. We think that next year we're going to do a special Valentine's edition of uh, our Super Scots. So and I, I, we're looking for tales of uh, Scots' great love matches. So far we've found two. Uh, <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> but if you can come up with any more, we'll add them to the list. Anyway, I'll leave you to enjoy your soup. The most common thing we hear when people come in the door is, I had no idea what to expect. But they all, so far anyway, touch wood, have left absolutely delighted with what they've, they've got. Um, and going, oh, now I understand. They then tell their friends. But even their friends come in going, I still don't know what to expect. I've just heard it's really good. <laughs> so, it is, it's completely unique. I don't think I've come across anything that's really quite like it. And that's what most people say. I, I don't think I have either. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but what's what's not to love about great food and great kind of conversation stories yeah. at the heart of it? And the last one I want to just give you a, a, a wee chat about was Catherine Sinclair. Catherine Sinclair was born in uh, 1800. Uh, just an absolutely uh, fascinating woman. Her father was Sir John Sinclair, 
who was the guy who wrote the first statistical account of Scotland. We like people to book in advance if at all possible, but it's always worth giving us a ring. If we've got something on and we've got a spare place, then please come along. Um, we were rather unfortunate in that we opened this place just at the start of the pandemic. So we don't know what a normal year looks like yet. So uh, we're, we're advertising just now for Thursday, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. We do lunches, we do dinners. But if you don't see anything on our website, give me a ring and if it's available, we'll put it on for you. All right, folks, look, can I just thank you so much for coming along. It's been a great evening, great to hear your stories. There's no rush to get away. Please just sit and uh, enjoy the chat. That's been fantastic. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. What a great evening. For more information, just head for downrightgabbler.co.uk, which is where you will also find a link to the various audio tours that they do, including, of course, the tour of the Black Island Cromacy that we've been doing today. Tours cost £10 per car, and you can also get the Downright Gabbler to provide you with a picnic. You know, it strikes me, Penn, you could probably do this as a bike ride as well, couldn't you, from Bewley out to the Black Isle? You, you do could, it as a sort of a guided, a guided bike tour? Yeah, actually, you probably could because you could just cycle and then stop at each of the the um, different different places on the tour. Um, Black Isle is a brilliant place is for it? for cycling. You know, whether it's gravel bike, mountain bike, road bike, there's there's the more major roads around the Black Isle, but there's quite a lot of minor roads. You can come you can, off it and you can come get off some quieter and explore. Roads. So, yeah, I think it would be not a bad one to do by bike. I'm trying to think what the mileage would be. <laughs> <laughs> but Probably, you know, you're talking about 40 or 50 miles round trip. Oh, um, but, you know, if you're a keen cyclist, actually, it's a, Black Isle's a great place for cycling. Yeah. Well, the story of Cromarty really is written in its architecture. There are an astonishing 209 listed buildings in the town, 10 of them A-listed. And we've come to the end of our tour here at one of the most significant of them. This is Hugh Miller's cottage, which is where he was born, and it's now a museum. It stands out, doesn't it? Because it's quite different to the stuff around it. It's a real kind of humble kind of tucked away um it's also the only thatched building i've seen yeah that's true yeah yeah haven't seen any others this small cottage was occupied by hugh miller his mother brothers and sisters after his father a ship's captain died at sea the more substantial house next door was their original home but it was let out to lodgers to help the family pay their way we've mentioned hugh miller a few times on this tour as a popular writer of science, he was regarded as one of the best ever at introducing generations of curious people to the wonders of the natural world. He was also a very staunch Christian and became editor of The Witness, a popular Protestant newspaper. As well as being the editor... Well, this is where we're going to leave you for this episode of the North Coast 500 podcast. A quick reminder... On this episode, as well as the Downright Gabbler audio tour, Penn went on a food and storytelling event. She also went sea kayaking with Liquid Footprints, and I went on a wildlife boat trip with EcoVentures, who are right next door to where you're about to buy me lunch. Oh, really? Yes, really. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>
we have hardly scraped the surface of all the things to do here on the Black Isle. So do check out the North Coast 500 website, northcoast500.com and download the app for more inspiration and information. I hope we've persuaded you to pause and make the most of this great part of the route. For now though, from Dan and from me, catch you next time. What's your favourite pizza topping? Well, because we're on the Black Isle, we're in Scotland, we're not in Italy, so I don't want prosciutto or anything like that. I want some black pudding. Black pudding on a pizza? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. But oh. I want some that's from round here, <laughs> not some that's from over the mention the Hebrides. Never had dingle black pudding. On a pizza? Well, no, 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 frankly, you're wrong. That caught you by surprise, didn't it? <laughs>